Hello and welcome to episode 93 of Kaiju Curry House, the fortnight show that gives you a healthy dose of Kaiju goodness every other Monday. Today it's myself Paul along with Smokey Joe and Hi, folks. Please say we have Bob Eggleton, a nine-time Hugo Award winner for um, Best Artist in Science Fiction and Fantasy. Welcome Bob. Oh hey, good to be here. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. Fantastic oh, to have you on the show, Bob. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so today we're going to be talking all about you and your career. But um, as our listeners know, we have to start off with the question. Joe, what have Kaiju been up to? What have I been up to? So I have been up to a variety of things. Uh, a lot of which have been taking up my time. I actually can't discuss. But uh, I have been back in reading. Uh, I've been enjoying a couple of... Uh, new dinosaur books that have come out on the market. I'll share those in the, if nothing else, section of this podcast. Um, and then I have essentially been re-watching the Dinosaur Planet trailer over and over again. I think that's okay. what Joe's been up to recently. Have you, have you, either of you seen the Dinosaur Planet trailer? Oh, the one, the one that's coming on BBC? It's the Apple TV one, but it's Sir David Attenborough who is doing the dialogue for it. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah, that's the one. Yes, yes, yes. That's the one. I think, I think Apple TV's running, running it, but I think BBC over here, we have BBC America. Yeah. There's, what, there's a lot uh, of the BBC cronies that are kind of like coming in and helping with it. What's but, happened here is BBC America has become part of this. They're part of the discovery channel now. So every Saturdays and on weekends they, and some nights they have to show animal programs, you know, or they should show like one, one week they had a whole thing on, the planet Earth, it's called Planet Earth, and they did something oh, yeah. with di another dinosaur series that somebody had done, and then they showed Godzilla 2014 as part of all that, and it was just the Discovery also, Channel showed Godzilla 2014. <laughs> no, it was, it was um, no, you know what's really funny is the Godzilla, the Godzilla 2014 over here has been shown by some of the strangest outlets. One is a place I didn't called, know it was a documentary. To be fair, that that's a new one on me. It's a thing on. It used to be WGN, and it's a super station out of Chicago. And now they become like News Nation, which they claim they're more fair and balanced news, this kind of thing like that. And what they show is it's just news programs and, you know, America's Most Wanted, all that kind of stuff like that. And then all of a sudden it's like Godzilla comes on and then they show something else and then they go back to news. And, and so everybody's trying to figure out like, huh? Like that. BBC America's done the same thing. They, 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 they can't decide whether they're the Star Trek channel or they're the... Uh, you know, the, the the Planet Earth channel now. You know what I mean? It's like, as they show Star Trek, Star Trek, oh, Planet Earth, let's put on Planet Earth. And like, uh, then they'll show Doctor Who. And then they'll show Godzilla 2014. And that and that's, it's been on several times. And they, they uh, but they, put, they they tie it in with kind of like, it's, it's Planet Earth week on BBC America. You know, and 8 p.m. on Monday will be Godzilla. You know, like that, this sort of thing. And it's like, they so, whatever. You know, <laughs> it's, it's strange how it's been, it's 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 strange how it's cropping up a lot so yeah it's really cool though i'm really excited for planet dinosaur because we have a carnotaurus in it favorite dinosaur there and uh you can tell that uh just by the brief segment that we saw some of it was uh taken from all the yesterdays which is an amazing book one of the books that i read recently and for anybody who hasn't heard of that you need to check it out it's on amazon it is not expensive, but it will blow your mind. Right. A lot of the images from that book regularly appear on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and they're just like, sure. can you believe that people th thought this or that, you know, and this could course, be the way. Apple TV is making the God, the MonsterVerse series. Oh yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Apple TV and, is, is getting on it. And it's this close, this close to signing Kurt Russell as like the main, the main guy, like who's oh, going to wow. be in. Yeah, that's, really? that's. News. Yeah, it's, it's, you can just Google it, and, and it's the new news. He's, he's, he's in negotiations to be in the MonsterVerse TV show, and, uh, you know, so it's going to be interesting. Escape from Monster Island. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, I mean, I, I, I think he'd be great. I think I, they gave him a great character. I think he, I, 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 he's one of those actors that went from a ch being a child actor to being, like, a really, really great adult actor. You know what I mean, as well? Like, doing the Santa Claus movies he did for Netflix, which are hilarious um stuff like that you know so so i think he's gonna be great in the show if, if he's in it i think he's gonna be fantastic in that 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 series and i think he's gonna be great that's really cool well anyways <laughs> i i have i have had my pun bob i'm gonna direct this at you now what have kaiju been up to 
What have I been up to? Oh, what have I not been up to? Well, I've been working on the illustrated version of King Kong. It's going to be coming out next year. Um, and uh, it's going to be like between 10 and 11 paintings. We actually haven't decided. I'm sort of offering them 11 and they're wondering if they've got the budget to do 11, which is, is fine, but I've already completed eight. So we're nearing that kind of conclusion of that. And it's some of the best work I've ever done. It really is. And, um, and, and I can't use the typical, what you see in the movies, I was explaining earlier, I can't use the movie uh, icons. I can't use anything of the 33 Kong or any of the other Kongs that have been made because that's all under a film trademark thing. But the, the original Delos Lovelace novelization written in 1933 is not under that. And it's really interesting because it's got, it's a little bit differently paced and differently described than the way the film came out. For example, when Ann Darrow comes across, uh, when she's taken off by Kong in the jungle, she's put in this, you know, on the tree. And then the meat eater shows up. He's just described as the meat eater with a long head, a long neck, and he hopped. And they don't say Tyrannosaurus Rex. They don't say anything like that. So I took my liberties and did my own kind of idea of kind of like- You a, made a kangaroo, didn't you? <laughs> like a retro Tyrannosaurus, basically. And sort of like, I, I figured we're not going by, we're not worrying too much about, we're just doing by what is described in the book. So I did kind of what could be considered a hopping looking meat eater, you know what I mean? And he's battling and, and everybody seemed to really love the painting. And, and so I'm, I'm happy that they like it. And, uh, but, you know, and it's, it's and, and then in another sequence is the Stegosaurus is in one, but, but they actually, they traded it out with a Triceratops. So, so, you know, where they said, Look, fellas, it's something from the prehistoric age like that. It's actually a trans, tr the Triceratops you're looking at. Um, and so it's a little bit different from the movie. And so it, and it gave me a lot of liberties to go in that direction. And there's the other book, which should be coming out in UK. And I don't want to say too much about it, but it's that's going to be really great. I've got the cover and three interiors and a couple of colors in the inside. And it'll be, you know, it's going to be really nice. And you, I promise, I'll give you all the information about it when I'm allowed to give it to you. So. That's great. We're definitely going to have to have you back on to discuss that awesome project that's going on in the UK. Oh, yeah. So, so it's, it's been all this and I've been working on some other things and trying to deal with some, uh, just dealing with some, um, you know, uh, just every day, you know, in our, in this post pandemic or whatever the heck it is now, I don't, I'm losing my mind. I mean, it's between the Ukraine and the pandemic. It's like, ah, you know, you know, crazy. And uh, it's one of those things you wake up in the morning, you go, I'm alive. <laughs> there you go. So now I think it's Paul's turn. Paul, what have Kaiju been up to? No, I finished it. You finished the <laughs> I finished picture the, book. The massive I'm... alien book. What'd you think? Look at the size of it. It's huge. It's really good. Yeah. So I've finished, I've been reading it in chapters. Um, Kind of just so each each week of the podcast, I've been talking about different films. So I've finally finished Alien Resurrection now. Um, I already knew some of the stuff, like the ending was going to take place on Earth, for example, and that got scrapped. But um, the director was French. I knew that, but I don't know. He didn't speak any English, so I don't know how they managed on set. But that must have been quite interesting. And he was known for comedy. Jean Pierre Junet, I think his name. Yes, was. that's the one. And he did uh, the City of the Lost Children. That's, yes, that yes. He said he went and he watched that while he was staying in America. He literally went to the cinema to see it just to remind himself of like. He said he watched it, but just saw all the errors. So he then made a list of all the things he did wrong in that film, so he would not repeat them for Alien Resurrection. Well, it's really mm -hmm. funny because you know he's a, and and you know what he's he's a he was he got a lot of accolades for that film, and that's gig got him Alien Resurrection, if I remember correctly. Yeah, sounds like it. about it she was talking about you know they, they they did these four things and she goes get the latest hot director to do something that's really completely takes it in another direction i use james cameron and it was uh dennis was his name fincher um oh, david uh, fincher david fincher yeah and then and then the same thing i think you know you know just just as an extension of that think of what happened with godzilla 2014 we had gareth edwards yeah. one of british and he did a, what was it, a $50,000 film or 50,000 pound film? Monsters. Monsters. And yeah. he had a crew of six. He, they bring us to Mexico. They had six guys and different cameras and stuff like that. Yeah, and he, he did had, all the special effects on his laptop. Amazing. Yeah. amazing. It is amazing, isn't it? 
and he was apparently working in a warehouse to make money to pay some bills. And he said between that, he'd go back in and he'd be on his laptop doing the special effects for the movie. And then when it came out, um, the story goes is that he, and this ties in with what happened with Alien, you know, how Alien, uh, he went to Legendary and they were talking about working with him. Thomas Tull was wanting to do something much lower scale and much probably direct to video or whatever. And then he said across the table, he just, he looks at him and he said, how would you feel about doing Godzilla? And they said that we can't get anybody really to do this. We, we're trying to find somebody we can't do. It. So he said, you seem to be the type of guy that would be open to like, and, and he just threw it and he said, what you always say, yes. And uh, apparently he walked out of the room and had an anxiety attack. <laughs> at, at the idea of a 300, a $200 million budget or $180 million, that type of thing. So that, and, and that's what they do. They do these great art films like that, you know, like, uh, like the city of lost children. That was, that was an art film. It really was. It played in art houses here. You know, you had to go, I had to go to Boston to see it, for instance. Yeah. It's always great when they fit. It's like uh, that uh, Neil Bloomkamp, isn't it as well? How he, kind of just he came out of district nine after doing a very low budget film and tv commercials so it's yeah it's amazing what they can do it is fun so with that we have to get the kaiju letters oh paul yes. has your regular my, my rec yes we have uh, it it's, it's more of a comment than a question but i think it's valid enough that, that we should um, comment it so yes we've heard from tom tyler friend of the podcast for sure um he's written in first of all saying happy third birthday because we've literally just just been going out for three years yep that we have thank you sir so thank you for that um and what he was suggesting is that at the end of the show where we have if nothing else he was wondering if we could have just people write in with their suggestions for if nothing else rather than just our own all the guests so that could open up some floodgates, but I'm totally it could. up for um, trying it. <laughs> and it, but it got me thinking a bit about this kaiju questions, and I was thinking, well, in, instead of that, instead of it just being kaiju questions, what if we call this kaiju conversations, which kind of flows a bit better? Ooh, yeah, and be people thing, write yeah. in, then they can say, oh, I've just seen this. Have you? What did you think? If not, I recommend it. Mm -hmm. So this so, is where I plug Tammy and the T-Rex every So week. you could say, yeah, you, you could say, Josh, I saw Tammy and the T-Rex, got to check it out. But a listener could write in and say, I just saw something grab and it was amazing. Children, ask your parents before you watch <laughs> Tammy and the T-Rex, okay? Just ask your parents. I've got, I've, I've, um, I have managed to get that. Uh, I found it on, a, on, on the streaming services. And so I am going to watch that at some point oh, soon, I hope. Oh, Lord. Bob, have you seen Tammy and the T-Rex? No, I have not. Oh, it's a treat. They knew exactly <laughs> what they were doing with that movie. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I think you check it out then. Oh, they the whole reason the movie got made. Friend of the director. Hey, I uh I got this animatronic dinosaur for a weekend. You want to make a movie? <laughs> oh god. Well, that sounds like that sounds like the Rock Foreman school, school film school of filmmaking, you know. Or or anybody, you know how they they just throw a movie together. Um, I know, but uh, it's got like Denise Richards, and I think his name was Paul Walker, right? Paul Walker, yeah, yeah. It's got Paul Walker and Denise Richards in it. It's just like what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look at look at actor Eric Roberts. He's in like everything. And I have one of my Facebook commenters who's a director, and she said, you know, she said if you wanted to do like a documentary or something on yourself, painting or whatever, Bob, she goes. He'd, 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 he'd narrate it for 200 bucks <laughs> like that. And she said, and, and she said, I'm serious. She said, I'm absolutely serious. He'll do, he'll, they'll just, if it's a check, they'll show up for it. And, and so that's what I think a lot of, maybe some of it is. Yeah. Denise Richards, she's not been in much lately. Oh, this was early in her career. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> Before she was a Bond girl. Yeah. I mean, I, I have it, I have it sitting on one of my, my shelves because that's just not a movie that you can, Take the slipcover off you know you, you got to keep it pristine because it deserves that kind of treatment anyways back to kaiju letters thank you very much for the comment that will be taken under consideration by the team sounds like a good one so in joe's line of questioning we have angela and angela is asking a pretty simple one but uh, I figure since we have Bob on here, it uh, it's worth bringing up again. What is your favorite kaiju and why? 
Well, I could say Godzilla, but I'd be in a crowd. Um, so the, the one, this, this guy asked me a long, long time ago, and we all decided what was our second favorite kaiju. And Good way of looking at it, yeah. For me, um, it's Veyran. Uh, because Ooh. he's such a yes. he's such yes. an ignored little. <laughs> I, I even wrote a, an essay for Famous Monsters about Varan, and I, I actually titled the working title was Ode to Varan because he he just he was in what one movie and then he was in a appearance and a, he yeah. just he, he might as well have been stock footage. Yeah, he should have made it. He does this and destroy all monsters. <laughs> like that, bye. You know, like that. He's off camera, and it's like. Um, but um, in the original, what they had done, and it's a kind of a weird thing, because I had written an article on it, and with August Ragone, we, we did some research on it, he gave me some good research on it, that it was originally intended to be an ABC TV movie in the United States at the time, and ABC pulled out of it, and left Toho with this kind of widescreen black and white movie, and they were all into Toho scope color at the time. So they were kind of stuck with this black and white movie in the age of color, which is like around 1958 or whatever it was. And they kind of didn't know what to do with it themselves. They released it and it came out to not as not great fanfare as I understand it. But well, the American version is abysmal, to be fair. Oh, it's a, oh, the American is, is racist. It's it's a, oh, it's just terrible. It's, it's not worth watching. I like Varan, but I I will not. They insert him like. like from his porch he can see everything going on like oh look Varan's in Tokyo or oh look Ver you know what I mean it's like huh you know it's like okay because they, they just inserted him on and he has like a housekeeper and he just berates her all the time and and all this and uh and uh and what they did what they had done is originally it was going to be released in the United States by the same company that was going to redo uh you remember Gigantus the Fire Monster they Godzilla raids again they were going to retool some of the uh, footage from Godzilla Raids again into a proposed Melchior script called the Volcano Monsters. And that was going to be made for U.S. distribution in which like a unnamed Tyrannosaurus Rex and an unnamed Ankyosaurus uh, start having a battle and they wind up in San Francisco and that's the idea of them being in Chinatown is going to be the explanation for the, for the architecture, you know, the Asian architecture. And they were going to insert all this other footage around it. And they even sent Toho, even made two new suits that got sent to the U.S., the Howard Anderson Company, to do the effects work, to do some additional effects. And it was just never used. And Bob Burns was a witness to those suits. He, he'd actually seen the, the crate they were in. And uh, anyway, it just never got used. So it was eventually picked up by uh, Hugo Grimaldi, uh, who's no stranger to, he did a lot of spaghetti westerns and things of that nature. And, and taken to Warner Brothers, and they dubbed it with Key Luke and George Takei doing most of the dubbing. <laughs> it, and um, they cut it to pieces. And, um, you know, it's it's literally even Gigantus the Fire Monster is a hard watch when it's, you know, Guzzler Raids again is a much better watch, but there's, there's a musical interlude thing that they've chopped right out, everything like that. But Gigantus is this badly dubbed, you know, like they, you know, at one point they get George go, oh, banana oil just to fill someone's mouth with the right, you know, thing. But Varan was a similar thing where they, um, they had this film and they backed out of it. So Crown International eventually picked it up in 1962 and they figured, well, we can't sell. We don't like the flying sequences. Like they didn't like Reptilicus flying. Remember Reptilicus flew? Um, they didn't like that. So chop that up. And so get this out. Well, let's put in Myron Healy. And he has to be this guy that's involved with the U.S military and they're doing desalinization things on some island and he can see everything going on you know what i mean and and uh and and he's rude and um, um terrible he's just a he's just terrible oh, yeah. and, and 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 but the original Vayran has got some incredibly moody scenes in it right it's good we, too like the biologists have a reason to be there like the village's religion is like it's not looked down upon or made silly yeah. like the reason that varan can shrug off tank shells is like it's understandable at the very least like, and it, it's, it's a good movie yeah at the time um when 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 they made this movie um there were parts of japan that literally were a wilderness i mean when i'm saying that they were isolated um, and you had people that lived as you saw the village. They just, they were isolated from everybody. And they had their own kind of religion, their own kind of 
theory, their own ideas. And then these guys come in and then you don't even see anything at first. You just see this giant shadow moving through the trees. And it is, wow. There's some sequences where it's just literally Varan is sort of moving through the trees and you don't see, you see his leg or you might, and it's, it's or you see them looking up and then suddenly they're covered by a shadow. And then that's it. You know I mean? They're, they, they were told not to go into, uh, into this uh, area and they went through this gate and they went in anyway and then they got killed and then saw other people show up to discover what's going on and this thing of course they try to kill it and it only succeeds in chasing it out of the lake and it heads to Tokyo and, and so on but um, uh, uh, that's that's what is um, it's kind of a it was kind of the the um, uh, the, the the most not honored kaiju, I'm going to call him, uh, that Toho has done, because every other one has had at least a couple of other appearances in movies. But Varan just didn't, or Baran, as he's called, Baran, Daikaiju Baran, he, he, he just didn't. And, um, and Haruo Nakajima plays the monster, uh, as he did. It, it, has, it has, like, the bones of a really great movie. It just didn't have the marketing. That's that's yeah, exactly what it came down to. And they, and they had one release poster. They had absolutely no. It's like the Iron Giant of kaiju movies. Bingo! Exactly. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. And and it's really kind of it's, it's an eerie looking monster. And of course, it's a lake monster too. I really and... like how on the suit, the suit like the spines going down his back. The light, the backlighting actually caught clear plastic tubes that they yep. cut up. Those were just like regular pipe tubes that you use yeah, they, they sheared, them off, the they sheared they, them off but the way that the light kept them it made them look like yeah. they were illuminated or painted i thought that was and, a great little effect and the the only other chance that we had for varan to appear again was when shusuke kaneko originally pitched the idea of gmk godzilla mothra king Ghidorah, uh you know in, in 2000 2001 and his original script had the, the Guardian monsters where it was Godzilla and it was versus uh, Anguillus, um, Varan, and um, Baragon. Baragon, yeah. And now they kept Baragon, and, but the other two literally... We have to put Mothra and Ghidorah into everything. Yeah, it's a rule. It, they they well, sell, isn't it? Literally told, sat down in Toho and they said, we love your story, but we can't these two monsters, they're not good for marketing and toys. Nope. So, you know, you need to rethink it. Think of, and, and in fact, we'd like you to rethink it with Ghidra and Mothra in it. Well, apparently, as, as a screenwriter that he is as well, he's a writer as well, he just, he just had to sit there apparently for 15 to 20 minutes and actually think about how to retool that. And um, and he said, okay, I, I can. He went to his other his other um, writer with him, and he said, like, I think we can do this. We can do it. And he was, and he's he's not shy about talking about how it was all done for merchandise. It was done for merchandising purposes. And I like how in protest he gave all three of the Ghidorah heads basically Varan's head too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Janata so, made them. Yeah, yeah. So we have one more question. So this comes from William, and I think it's actually a really nice question. So you're trying to get somebody into the kaiju fandom. What is the first film that you show them? Oh, that's a good. See, one. I think that's a cool question. That's a good one. That's that's a good thinking <laughs> question. It depends how old they are. That's one thing. And two, um, I would say we're looking to indoctrinate children here, Bob. Come on, we got to we got to keep the fandom going. It doesn't okay, matter so what time friendly. the movies from. You know, you know what really? Um, I can't say what did it for me because what did it for me was the original ideal Godzilla game that came out in the U.S in the 60s and that that made me love Godzilla and the first Godzilla movie I saw and this might be a potential candidate for that is King Kong versus Godzilla that's a good that's a good one uh, another because you you've got King Kong which is a little bit of a you know we've got a little bit of a western sort of impetus in there you know uh, then we have uh, the other ones I would consider would be Monster Zero uh, only or Invasion of Astro Monster because it's got Nick Adams in it and he carries a lion's share of the dialogue and he's very funny and he and Akira Takarada have this great chemistry together when they're working on screen you can see it and um, and it's a great human story it's 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 a fun it's the only one of them all and this gets some it gets its share of problems with some of the fans because there's ten minutes of monster footage in the whole thing 
And some of that is stock footage. And it's because they 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 decided to backseat the monsters and make the human this this, tr this love story going on between um, uh, you know Miss Nemikawa and uh, astronaut Forrest Glenn. That's his name. It says F Glenn. His name is Forrest Glenn. Um, and uh, and they make that the they make that the kind of the the the, the big upfront kind of thing going on. And the, and the kind of the relationship of, of, of him with, with Akira Takarada and the goofy uh, Akira Kubo playing, you know, Tatsue, you know, and, uh, and, and those things make for it to be a warm movie, I, I find. And then the pacing of it is great. It's just, it doesn't drag. It, it, it just, I can put it on and in 90 minutes it's just gone like that. You know what I mean? It doesn't drag at any one time. Um, yeah, that was my first film. So I saw that when I was about seven. It works, uh, yeah. apparently. And it worked, so uh, <laughs> no disputes on that one. <laughs> yeah, I had uh, Terror of Mechagodzilla as mine, and uh, I've spoken about that before in the podcast, but if I was looking to indoctrinate somebody, I mean, I feel like a lot of, I think, I think you can definitely throw a lot at the 90s Godzilla versus Ghidorah or the 90s Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. I think that both of those two movies give a pretty good taste of what Godzilla is. And then I think if we were going to go outside a Toho franchise, um, I feel like the Dino De Laurentiis Kong it can be a bit hit or miss with folks. The 1933 Kong, I think you need to have an appreciation for what it is. Exactly. Peter Jackson Kong is your Peter Jackson you Kong could fall asleep good. if you're the it's wrong quite person. long but it's yeah good but I mean, something like way, Pacific Rim would probably do yeah I was gonna well. say Pacific Rim is a pretty good one but if we're gonna go with you know like Depends, old yeah, what, school stuff yeah I'd say that Gorgo's a worthwhile contender Gorgo's a okay. great one. yeah yeah Gorgo's a worthwhile contender because it's a very straightforward plot it hits all age groups it's just people making bad decisions consistently so it's a great film but uh, i also I, I always stick up for beast from Twenty Thousand fathoms because i think that you know as the og radioactive monster movie it it hits a lot of really great notes you've got ray harryhausen who worked on it and then you've got um the fantastic um ray bradbury story yeah. which is the foghorn which yeah. is a great short story. Everybody should read that. It's fun. Yeah, it, but he, I think yeah. you hit those, you're done, right? Yeah. No, I was going to say that also, uh, it's funny you bring up those films because both Gorgo and Beast from 20. Same Alpha, director. Same director. He did the giant behemoth, or, be, or you call it behemoth, the sea monster. Um, so he's worked with Ray Harryhausen, Willis O'Brien, and then he did Men in a Suit work. You know what I mean? And uh gorgo special effects are largely i guess tom howard did them i believe um i guess the guys that were involved with um remember the curse of the demon or the night of the demon you call it where you see the giant demon head come up at the i think they also did uh, they also did gorgo's suit work um and yeah gorgo's a great one because it's a great mother story it's a great it's a great yeah, mother I mean, story but then what i have an appreciation for in gorgo is how they integrate the suit the man in the suit effects with the rest of the scene most of the scenes in gorgo take place against like a black or red night sky and the way that they overlaid gorgo in a lot of those scenes or the people on beaches or whatnot they fit them in so seamlessly that you couldn't see like the black shadow lines george lucas had a problem with this when he had like the rancor and return of the jedi with luke skywalker um, I'm not going to tell anybody, I'm not going to spoil that film for anybody, but um, when you're watching that scene in the previously unupdated versions where George hasn't like tweaked things, you would see a shadow where they put one um, cell frame over another in order to get that mashed effect. But what would happen is you'd have like a rancor shadow, like an ever so like faint line. It's almost like it was animated on and someone still had like the drawing lines on it. Right. So when they uh when they did that with gorgo because it was so dark in that movie whenever gorgo was making an appearance nothing stood out and i remember being me and thinking like well wow gorgo i mean i know that's a person in a suit but this looks so much better than when godzilla well, does it when but, gorgo came out on blu-ray here a few years ago 
I was sort of a contributor to it uh, in the sense of I, I contributed some of my toy collection and I saw my lobby cards and I, I couldn't believe what I actually saw on, on that as a, as a side note on this. I saw this on an auction house and it was in England too. All of the concept drawings of Gorgo and they were just gorgeous. They were these watercolor gouache drawings of what oh, Gorgo cool. looked like. And Oh my God. Oh my God. It, you know, if you didn't mind maybe tapping into a retirement account or something, <laughs> you could, you actually, it was doable to get these things. They weren't, they, and it was really backwater. It was really not even something that was being noticed. It might've been on eBay even. I, I don't well, know. This is the thing in the UK, the monster film community isn't necessarily given the limelight. So yeah. thank goodness we're having like a pop culture resurgence of this genre, but you know, like that sort of thing doesn't tend to get noticed as much. Yeah. VCI, when they released the Blu-ray, by the way, my, my friend Lee um, was involved with this and he, he just contacted me out of the blue and he said, do you want to contribute anything in terms of, you know, and originally we were going to have me do a poster for it that came with it. You send away, you send away a coupon, you get the poster, but VCI video and it's just, you know, frankly, they ran out of money on it. And, and what had done them in, in that regard, I mean, it, it did well. But they had remastered the entire, they had it remastered. They got a copy of the movie that had not been previously seen, like it'd been in a vault or something, right? So you know how we were talking about that that weird, the lines you were talking about, the map mm -hmm. line, whole, that, you know, that kind of weird, you know, blue, ed blue edge and stuff like that. All that's been gotten rid of in the new remastered version. And the sound is much better. It doesn't have this weird hiss to it. Um, and um, and, and uh, it's a much better um, thing. But, but VCI, they spent all their money on restoring it. And, uh, and it, I mean, the, the dark's in it, a really dark night in it. It's not that kind of brown over the time, you know, how things fade away and they get like, you know, they, yeah. and the, the matted elements separate out and things like that, that all got resolved. And uh, and they found an absolutely gorgeous IP of it somewhere in a vault, and it was uh, a collectors or something like this. And it was just and strangely enough, uh, Gorgo. Many people think it's a public domain movie, and there's a lot of public domain labels that was on. It's not. It's actually owned by 20th Century Fox of all places. Um, and Disney uh, owns Gorgo. This is amazing. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it Disney owns Gorgo, I guess, and. And it was because I, I knew that uh, you're familiar with um, uh, Club Daikaiju. They did a, a vinyl toy uh, with M1 mm -hmm. Go in Japan. And it's mm. gorgeous, gorgeous item. And uh, my understanding was they had to get all the permissions at the time from 20th Century Fox in because uh, they were the one. They, they, it was part of Genesis Entertainment, which is part of something else. And it's over, it's overseen by 20th Century Fox. So that's the film vault. This was this. Uh, this film was sitting in was 20th Century Foxes, and uh, but it's it's it, it, that all having been said, it's a it's it's a terrific film because it's a great build up to it, and um, and you know you remember the history of it where there was some Japanese investors involved in this whole thing, and they wanted to prove that somebody could do something as well as Godzilla, so that's what they did. They paid the King Brothers and some British uh, British uh, filmmakers to do the. Um, to make this giant monster movie and uh uh yeah so there you go indeed well we're going to wow. take our first break now and then we get back we're going to talk about the man the myth the legend Bob. hello and welcome back to kaiju curry house we are here this evening at least in the uk with mr bob eggleton who is a phenomenal artist and apparently an expert in all the right films so bob one of the main draws of having you on the podcast is, of course, your amazing art. Can you tell us how you got started? Like, um, where, where did you join this profession? Well, I started when I was about four years old. My father showed me how to draw. And uh, I sort of knew what I wanted to do. And then I saw Star Trek. I saw 2001 Space Odyssey. And I said, you know, this is these interests I have in science fiction, this interest I have in art is really, and the, the first idea was I wanted to be a comic book guy. And I thought it was really easy. I thought, oh man, it'd be great. To, well, you know, as we know, it, it actually isn't really easy. 
Uh, but there was, I was back, I was a child of those days of the Marvel bullpen in the 1970s when, you know, everybody, comic books looked like they were just made just for you, you know, and you could get a lot for a couple of dollars, you know. And so, uh, you know, and you'd have kind of a, you know, a Stanley soapbox and all that. And you, and, and you felt like there was this weird connection, like, you know, you could, you could, you know, one day aspire to, to get into the drawing and go to see these people and talk to them and want to get into it and all that. And that's what I did. I kind of like started meeting some of these artists. Um, when I got older in high school, I got to know some artists and, uh, they all said to me, you know, just, just, just pursue it, go after it. And that's what I've done. And, uh, but I, I, and I think my first, let's see, I sold a painting when I was 16, 16 years old, I sold three paintings. So I would say those were my first professional sales. They weren't, they weren't, they were landscape things. They weren't even, um, they were British landscape things. In fact, they were a woman who was from England wanted a uh, picture of something of Aubinus cottage with the Cotswold stones. And you guys know what I mean by that. And, yeah, uh, and anyway, so I did that, but you know, a hundred dollars a painting, that's a lot of comic books, you know? And, oh, that's and, good stuff, man. Yeah. And, and 1976, you know, a lot of, that was good comics. Well, then the 80s came and I got, I started going to science fiction conventions and I started putting my work up at these art shows. And this is the thing that's very hard to do now because it's, it's all different. The dynamics all different. Publishers would show up at these conventions and they'd say, hey, you know, we really like your artwork. You think about doing book covers for us? And, oh, cool. Yeah, all right. You know, and I'm here I was aiming for comic books at one point, but I got segued into doing book covers. And that's how sort of I started painting and stuff like that. And everything went from there, really did. And uh, I always maintained the interest in the thing of all things like Godzilla space, all kinds of stuff like that. I, I, I have this thing of like, I like, I, it's all part of the same thing, you know, like I, I can make the connections of 2001 A Space Odyssey to Godzilla and this idea, it's a basic, it's an idea of scale. And to that end, in the 2014 Godzilla movie, the Giorgio Leggetti, the Giorgio Leggetti music was used that was actually in 2001 A Space Odyssey in the Halo jump scene. So, you know, there's a nice, like, there's an, I always consider that a nice connection. It's awesome. But, so like the whole time that you were doing this, that you were persevering, like what's that look like? Like for young artists out there, like what what would you recommend to them most? Like what what is like the method draw, to draw, stick with draw, it? Draw, 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 draw really well. Draw good. Look at a lot of artists' work and don't try to develop your own style. I found that when I went back and looking at masters of artists, I mean, you look at some of these guys that are from you know, 1600s, 1700s, they were doing fantasy art, dragons, all kinds of stuff back then. Uh, Turner, J.M.W. Turner, he's like my favorite painter, and um, and he's considered England's greatest painter, and he, he did some paintings with dragons and stuff in them, and there it was, it was fantasy art, they just didn't call it that at the time, it was called, it was called sublime, or romantic, you know, like that, that sort of thing, and, uh, and looking at all that, that's where you get you know, I make these connections to how, you know, I love mythology and dragons and le legends of cryptid creatures and, you know, even the Loch Ness Monster, all that stuff. And I apply all of that to uh, Godzilla and that kind of thing. You know, it's, it's just, they're just the same thing. It's just, they're just maybe created differently by science. That's all. But know. my feeling is this, when you do art, just draw, draw, draw and make sure now we have the internet so you can get your stuff out there on social media and people can see it. i didn't have the internet so i had to do it longhand and and it came across fine but you know it was it was a very uh you know so now if i was to do it now i'm not sure how i would do it you know uh but that this was 35 years ago i was doing this so you know i, I was getting my stuff out there and, and uh it's it's a very it's a very trying process sometimes so i gotta call you out here you're saying draw 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 but you paint <laughs> well the basis of all really good painting is drawing and if you can draw really well you understand how three-dimensional forms work and things of that nature whereas when you paint and then you paint that's just simply coloring them in okay so this is a point here right so my partner dawn is a fantastic artist she yep. really is she can draw anything but she hates coloring stuff in oh we're all scared of that i did that in my okay first that I won awards for at the World Science Fiction Convention in 1980, it was all black and white, it was all black and white drawings. And I had the such luminaries like Michael Whalen and Don Mates and other people come up to me and say, well, we really love your work, but you gotta paint, my friend, you gotta paint. And I'm like, 
I'm going to paint like that anxiety attack, you know, so I got some paints and I got started learning how to apply color into those things and starting to render and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, and the art schools at the time, I got to say, weren't really helpful because they were, it's kind of 1970s postmodern. Uh, that's a great word people use when they want to describe nothing postmodern um and they they want to say you know they want to say oh it was all post well post vietnam post watergate so everything was this non-representationalism which is like you kind of put a pile of dirt in the middle of a room and stick like a bottle in it and call it like you know untitled six or what you know whatever and and those type things that was really what was being pushed this whole idea of like going into non-representational work because that's where taping a banana to a wall exactly and and now it's it's going back much more to traditional stuff so it's now is a very good time because people are learning more about traditional stuff because people that that was kind of so faddish and so 70s and and you know it was a great way of being able to do something and do nothing at the do do, do make it look like you're doing something and you're actually doing nothing you know what i mean and and uh, that's what a lot and that came out of kids getting into school who really weren't even interested in art, but they had to take art classes to get credit. So it was kind of like, you know, okay, we can do this real easy stuff and, you know, this sort of thing. And it was easy to do, but, but anybody with a lot of talent, there's a lot of wonderful artists out there with talent. I talked to them, my friend, John Tedrick, wonderful artist, absolutely fantastic. He's way younger than me. I think he's in his twenties. Oh my God, can he draw? Oh my God, he's so good. And, um, and I try to encourage that, you know, and, and he's, he's working for Magic the Gathering and things of that nature, but, uh, there's a whole bunch of young people out there and, and they've got better, more uh, better chances than ever to get into these things. It's just that, you know, in the meantime, life got a little more difficult, a little more complicated, a little more expensive. So, you know, yeah. You know, was- so someone is scared of coloring stuff in. What do yeah. you say to them? Oh, hmm. all right. Well, I'll tell you what it is. You, you can take, start with, if you want to learn to paint, this is the way I would recommend because I was afraid of working with oil paint. I work with oil paint. I would say 80% of the time now I was really afraid of working with oil paint. Well, what happened was I had decided that I um, needed to learn how to do this. So I took small canvases about eight by 10 inches, nine by 12 inches small. And I figured, well, you know, it's better than ruining a large painting. You know what I mean? A large canvas. So let's just, let me just mess around with color. Let me just take color on a brush and mess with it and just really own that canvas. You know what I mean? Own it. And, and even if nothing comes of it and it's just a color of mess, at least you've messed up the canvas so that, you know, now you're a little less afraid of taking color and putting it on this white surface. Pablo, Pablo Picasso said, there's nothing more terrifying than a blank white canvas. And, um, and that's really what it boils down to. So yeah, it's afraid of color. But, you know, and color can, you know, it, it's nothing to be afraid of as long as you just know, you know how to, you own it. You, you be the boss of it. Don't let it be the boss of you. There okay. you go. Practice, face your fears. So how did you, how did you get from space exploration in space, you know, that being your driving interest, Star Trek, you mentioned, to working with monsters? So oh, okay. exp- well, explain the that. Real, the first real thing was dinosaurs. Uh, I went to the 1964 World's Fair in Queens, New York. My parents took me there with my grandmother at the time. And we went there. Those down are some amazing models. I've seen the pictures. And they did the Sinclair Dinosaur Exhibit. Just Google it. Put Sinclair Dinosaur Exhibit. Oh, I've seen it. It's amazing. Oh, my God. Now, it was dinosaur science of the time. They were tail draggers. They were uh, uh, the Tyrannosaurus rex that was present was kind of the basis for every single Tyrannosaurus rex right from the 1980s. Um, and uh, you had all kinds of other stuff. And, and, and I was just so wrapped with these things. They had a Tyrannosaurus, they had a Triceratops, they had a giant Apatosaurus, i.e. Brontosaurus. They still called it a Brontosaurus then. And they even had the wrong skull for it then. But still, um, there were these dinosaurs. And, I, and, you know, I was so taken with them when I was four years old, five, four, five, five, four, yeah, four, I was so taken with them that, um, that I found myself, um, uh, you know, wow, it's a dinosaur, you know, and I love dinosaurs, and I loved fossils, and 
later we went to England. Uh, I had rode my, my, my mother's from England, you know, so I'm half British. And she's from London. She was a Cockney. And, and my grandmother was from all there. And, and we've got, you know, all that. And so we would go over there. And at one point, we went down to Kent, down to Maidstone. And uh, there was somebody that lived there, or one of their relatives, and they had a backyard that had those, you know what I'm talking about, those lime deposits. It's all like, mm -hmm. you know how like a lot of England is these giant lime deposits. It's like you go down to the Jurassic Coast, it's like you can find fossils just wash ashore. We just live along that. Chop into these things and you would find fossils of sea urchins and even primitive, you know, animals, things of this nature. Ammonites, so, ichthyosaurs, oh, bellamites my the relative at the time just he was redoing his backyard garden and he's building into this mountain up in kent or this side of the hill up in kent and he's just digging this stuff out and giving it to me right so i'm bringing up home these these, these beautifully preserved fossils and so i got into the whole thing of that and dinosaurs and the earth was like you know millions and millions of years old this 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 goes back you know millions of years old and um i already knew it was i already knew because i'd seen um, what is it? Um, I'd seen uh, 1 million years BC. I knew that yeah. it was 1 million years old anyway, but I knew it was even older after that. And what had happened was I, my mother, uh, she knew I liked dinosaurs. So we we're in a store near us and they sold a lot of store toys from the sixties and they had this game and it was called the Godzilla game. And it had this greatest picture of Godzilla on the front, the 1962 Godzilla and it's from Ideal, and you play the game. It's a board game, and it's like it's all kinds of cool stuff. Like it's very simple, but you step on a radioactive footprint, and you've got to go be taken to the hospital for radiation treatment to radiation burns. You know, I mean, this is the stuff they made for kids. You know, and um, yeah, anyway, radiation burns are no joke. <laughs> and and, my, and yeah, I know it's a kid's game. You know, I mean, and my, my mother and my mother got me this thing, and I was just so taken with Godzilla, and I wanted to know what Godzilla was and who he was and blah, 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 like that. Well, one thing comes to another around 1969, 1970, um, I was taken to see uh, my first, and, and by the way, my first kaiju film I ever saw in my life when I lived in Pennsylvania was Gorgo. And that was in nice. 1988. And then later, uh, the next one I saw was King Kong versus Godzilla because at the time they were, they were showing these at, uh, at theater, drive theaters and drive-ins for kitty matinees. We didn't have DVDs or VCRs, we didn't have any of that. So the local cinema for a dollar, you could go up and while your mom did shopping, she'd plant you there and you'd, you'd go in and watch King Kong versus Godzilla. And they'd have a double feature universal of King Kong versus Godzilla and King Kong Escapes. And so um, we, you know, we really, um, you know, that was my indoctrination into this. And so I started drawing these things and I was really taken with it. And so some of the greatest, earliest Toho movies I'd, I'd seen in a theater. Um, and, and then I come home and I draw pictures of them. And I, then I got famous Monsters of Filmland and they had pictures of them in there. And uh, it eventually just dovetailed into what, that's what I was gonna do. And, um, you know, I mean, I just, it's a love, it's a love that I had, but I also like science fiction in general because I, I see these giant monsters as an offshoot of science fiction. They're, they're just part of science fiction. And uh, when you get into the science fiction realm, um, they just, you know, the, the difference between an American monster movie and a Japanese monster movie is in the American monster movie, science resolves the problem. The Japanese one, science creates the problem. And so it's a different, it's a whole different kind of stage that, you know, the different kind of thing going on here. But anyway, um, yeah, so that's, that's where it all sort of like came together and, and uh, I still like all this. And then of course there's, you know, the monster episodes of Star Trek and you had, uh, you remember the show Space 1999, the second season had a lot of monsters in it because um, at the time it was being made, uh, that was another interesting thing, monsters were really big in the US. And so ITC was going to Jerry Anderson we need more monsters in the show. So you had all these great ones with Dave Prowse and the Beta Cloud one where he's a big horned creature and there's another one, Maya turns into something and she's a monster, you know? And then, you know, it was, there was a sort of a monster boom in the 1970s and, and um, 
you know, Famous Monsters was really a testament to that too, because I mean, you're, you're talking about a magazine that was printed on newsprint and it was selling 350,000 copies per. I mean, it was doing that well back in the mid 1970s. And uh, it was because kids were into monsters. Mm-hmm. And we like Creature of the Black Lagoon. I got to see that on the big screen in 3D too. And um, I, I like all that too. You know, I like all that. I like Frankenstein. I like all that too. I'm, I'm currently just waiting for the good weather to come out again because I have gotten a projector and an outdoor oh, yeah. um, screen. So what I do is I drag the kids out and make them watch the movies that I enjoy, basically. So I'm, I'm waiting because I have a projector that can handle 3D and I have the glasses so that they can watch Creature from the Black Lagoon in our backyard with all of that. Um, so going back to art um, again, you mentioned that you really love oils. So why, how did you end up with oils 80% of the time as opposed to say acrylics or watercolor? Well, I started off in acrylics because um, when I talked to some of the fantasy artists who were big at the time uh, in their late seventies, early eighties, all of them were on deadlines and they said, we don't have time for the oil to dry. So you had to work in acrylics to be really fast. And I had clients, people I'd go and I'd talk to them, I'd say, hey, you know, what I did, and they said, oh, you know, you got to work in acrylics because it's fast and we can get it by next Tuesday instead of, you know, uh, you know, we get it really fast. And whereas, and then when I met my wife, and my wife's Australian, so I met her and she came to um, America and she'd been painting in oils all of her life. And so she continued painting in oils and I got a little bit jealous. I was like, wait a minute, she's painting in oil. I can paint in oils too, you know, so you know, that's when I got to taking little tiny canvases and just messing them up and seeing how I felt working in oil. And that's, and that's where everything went from there. Okay. And I found them a lot more of a richer color. I like acrylics. Acrylics is still good. And I still did about five or six paintings last year in acrylics, but oils really do have the, 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 the thing. There's something about them. That's really nice. Do they just blend together better or? Yeah, they blend and, um, they're sensuous. They're 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 pure color. Acrylic paint is to break it down is about ten to fifteen percent actual pigment and color. The rest of it is a sort of a a, 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 um, a version of essentially Elmer's glue. Um, it's kind of this basis that hard solidifies very quickly. Whereas oil paint, most of it is eighty to ninety percent color, and the rest of it is linseed oil. And when it dries, it dries by, uh, acrylics dry by the water drying up out of them. So therefore the colors actually change and the paint actually shrinks. Whereas oil, it's the linseed oil actually dries out. So that it, what you put on there stays on there and that's how it's dried. That's really cool. Oh, I was gonna okay. say that, that, that's definitely, I see the appeal now. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. That's really cool. <laughs> it's, it's, how- so how long does a typical oil painting take to do from that, from that standpoint? You've mentioned Large, that, you know, acrylics fast, oils a long time. Either or, I, I've worked fast in both and I can work. Okay, we're going to take that, you know, like you are, you are God at painting. So like, <laughs> so how long, you're finished with the painting, you, you, you've put your brush, you know, you, you've dipped it in your alcohol or, or whatever solution, you know, you're going to clean up. How long do you, can you wait for that painting to dry in acrylic versus oil? Um, acrylic, it's drying as I'm working. Mm-hmm. Oil, uh, it might take a night and a day and environmental effectors, uh, effect, uh, factors affect it. Uh, if it's humid, it takes a longer time to dry. If it's cold, it takes a longer time to dry. But if it's sort of a dry, warmish day, it'll dry almost overnight. And I also use a basis, it's called walnut oil, um, and it, the walnut oil accelerates the drying more. Very cool. Okay. So who would you say, oh, go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead, no, go ahead. I was gonna ask, so who are your, we'll go with the top three inspirations in art. Who, like, what, what artists have you looked at and been like, oh my gosh, that's incredible. Like Gustave Doré great illustrator. He illustrated the Bible and he did monsters. He did the picture of Leviathan. Uh, he did, uh, he did all these, the, the book of revelations. He did these, 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 um, uh, creatures that like had multiple arms and stuff that was right out of the thing. 
you know, and, and this was this Gustave Duray, you know, and he was doing this in 18, you know, 1800 and something. And, and then you had uh, other, you have lots of other guys. I mean, they do these incredible, uh, one of, um, there's one, and I can't remember the artist's name, but there's several artists that have done renderings of the very famous scene from Clash of the Titans, where uh, the Kraken comes up and Perseus has got the head of Medusa and turns the Kraken into stone. Well, that entire thing was done in the, these done in traditional old paintings from the 1600s, you know, I mean, 1600s, 1700s. And John Martin, he's another guy. And he did these incredible works of art, and one, several which involved dragons. And, uh, and, and this is a guy who was, uh, you know, he showed the end of the earth in a thing called the Great Day of His Wrath. And it's at the Tate, it's at the Tate. And they had a special exhibit of his work about 10 years ago that I went over to see just, I mean, I literally said, give me a plane ticket, I'm going over. So we went over there, stayed right near the Tate and went right in there like three days, three days out of the time we were there just to see this incredible show of, of um, paintings and the keynote speaker for the opening of the painting, the opening of the exhibition was Ray Harryhausen. That's and, so cool. And why it was Ray Harry, and he wrote the, um, and what, what was really cool, you go into the Tate and it's a big prestigious art museum and what's in the bookshop, all of Ray Harryhausen's books, the art of Ray, you know, those, those great art of Ray Harryhausen, they're all in there because they were, they were, had John Martin so associated with that kind of big picture kind of thing. And Ray's keynote talk was, whatever you do, do it big, you know? And, and he said that John Martin always inspired him to think big in his epics that he would do. And I thought that was just incredible. You know, this, this, this tried and true museum, the Tate, <coughs> and they're honoring basically John Martin and Ray Harryhausen. And uh, so there's, it all ties in together. And, uh, you know, this is what, you know, these are, these are what these guys did. And, and uh, you know, even Japanese, Japanese silk paintings that show the yokai and the, the eight-headed dragon, for instance, and stuff like that. They, they have these, uh, these are things that were back from, you know, feudal times. And they're showing, you know, and now they're the inspiration for, all the movies that we've seen come there. So there's a great lineage to all of that. You know, there's a great, there's a great, um, you know, uh, it goes back a ways and, 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 you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's really fun to, to see it, it, it work like that, you know? No, that's very cool. But so Bob, you've been painting since four. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Well, since four. <laughs> and you've got, you've won many, many awards. Do you yeah. have a favorite piece that you've done? Ooh, my good next, question. My next one. No, next one. <laughs> uh, no, I've got a few pieces that I've got that I've done that are really kind of nice. Um, uh, some of the King Kong work I've just recently done is pretty much up on my favorite list. I've got some other things where I've done. Uh, um, I've done a couple of other things uh, over the years. Uh, um, and, you know, they, 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 they all they all are they all have the bits in them that I really like, you know, yeah. I mean, don't like you know i might like one area the way it's working on that type of thing but you know it's and and you know it's just it's uh yeah it's just like and, and the nice part is is if i can look if i like the next piece better than the piece i just did it means i'm getting better and better so uh and that's what i like to do i like to make sure i'm just getting better you know and that's what's important so to say i yeah um and i've got a couple of pieces yeah i did some work with clive barker and oh, cool. i did some monsters uh, the tortured souls and the infernal parade the books that came out of these stories and you know he's great he specifically asked me to work with him and we did and uh it's just monster it's just just incredible incredible like there's one um there's one story he wrote and it's just this giant creature that it's comes in from the desert and it looks like a dog i mean it looks like a giant scaly dog and um and it's from the infernal parade and it's it, and it's 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 large i mean it's huge it's several it's several humans high so it can it, it can be considered a kaiju it could be considered a monster um in that sense and so so that's what it all ties in together you know and, and uh yeah nice there we go well, we're going to have to wrap this. Uh, okay. We're going to have to wrap this uh, episode up, unfortunately, after 
hearing all sorts of wonderful things from you, Bob, honestly. But we always end our episodes with an if nothing else. So this is our time to recommend all the fabulous and wonderful things that we feel other folks would really enjoy if they enjoyed this episode. Bob, would you like to go first? Ah, other things like other... What monster-related stuff do you think folks would enjoy if they are into art? Oh boy! I mean, there's, there's, you can trace the history of monsters in art going back, as I said, to, you know, back in the days of, um, you know, there was a, you know, uh, if you remember, there's a great story from England, the Saint George and the Dragon, and, uh, you know, this is all mythology that 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 has its basis in, in, in the story goes is that there was a village by a coastal town in medieval times and somehow what they believe had happened was a saltwater crocodile about 30 feet long had somehow gotten in the currents from southern waters and ended up there and it staked out a lot it's it was eating livestock basically it was coming up out of the water and eating the livestock so the farmers had to get rid of it so they hired a guy to get rid of it and he became saint george and the dragon and the story goes is that outside the village there was a recorded or very old records of a giant skull that was hanging in the in the village's entryway as you came in, and that's where he, that, so so you know you look at these great stories of 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 where where do they get their where do they get their uh, their start from, and that's what I like. That's and that's what I do with my art as I go back to these original classic artists because I like to know where they got. You know, I look at them their work. Frank Frazetta, he'll say his <sighs> he's his, great. He will say everybody. Oh, everybody so many wanted to paint just like Frank Rosetta. I mean, admittedly, I did a couple too, like that, but they wanted to do their version of Frank Rosetta. And I tell people now to this day, don't do Frank Frazetta. Go back to what Frazetta liked. And Frazetta liked Gustave Dore. He was a big fan of Gustave Dore's work. And um, and if you look at that and you look at what he's doing, and and oh my god, the guy did etchings and he did, I mean, uh, all kinds of stuff with like um uh, uh you know really you know uh, you know biblical stuff and it was it was all right there there it was you know and and so you look at those things and you go back and you find out this is where they got all their ideas like of of monsters from and and uh you know, look at japanese feudal history look at some of those the ideas of dragons and the ideas of of what they you know and and it's 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 incredible what you will find what you what you what you find the the genesis of all of that came from, and that's what I did. That's what I like. I like that whole idea. You know, uh, um, uh, when I did the Book of Sea Monsters in 1998 with Paper Tiger over in London, uh, they uh, it sold 35,000 copies. And what the author, the guy wrote the book, and myself did was we went back and we looked at old myths of what were, you know where did these smiths of sea monsters come from so if you're going to go looking so if you like giant monsters if you like monsters go looking at his mythology and 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 dragons and and stories of you know creatures leviathan behemoth stuff like that all of these things have sort of a, a I mean, look what they do with behemoth behemoth is right out of the bible and and you know again mythology but it's 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 this they made him into a monster in the legendary uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters. They gave him that, that big tusky monster. You know what I mean? And and uh, everybody loves him. So he gets a big he gets a big applause. I've seen when it's shown in crowds. And um, uh, but that's that's my advice. Just go back and look at the classical origins of all these things, and you'll find exactly where this stuff came from. You'll find exactly the genesis of all these things. You know, Japanese. Uh, the yokai, there's these these ghosts in the kappa, and then uh, these strange ghost stories they were, and that's where all of your 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 monsters came from. It, it came from all that, it, and and that's what 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 man's always been fascinated with giant monsters or any monsters really, because you know monsters are sort of either an outgrowth of what we uh, ourselves our darker side or what we fear. It can be personified by a monster. Um, and that sort of thing, and 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 they, of course, you had the classical monsters. You had uh, Frankenstein, and and uh, you know the mummy, Dracula. Well, that when we got into the fifties, we got the atomic monsters, and the, you know, and that was the the fear was the atomic bomb. So so we had to get 
you know, we, we brought along with it how to personify that fear. And so we made these giant creatures. And mm-hmm. so it's modern mythology is what it is. It's just simply modern mythology being told. Paul? Okay. Uh, else, what you got? So if nothing else, I'm going to recommend a book that Bob illustrated and that I just purposely... Um, so Godzilla Likes to Roar, which is a children's book. Um, Your kids love that book. My You've kids, so yeah. So, so my kid, uh, my oldest is 11, so he's way past it. My, my youngest is three, and he absolutely adores this book. We can read it sometimes every night for a week. Um, <laughs> his favourite picture is um, of all the creatures sleeping, which is um, Anguirus, Rodan, Manda, and Varan. He did talk about Varan. So, um, yeah, it's... Um, so, so thank you for that. Um, thank you for your work there, Bob, because, yeah, my children have absolutely loved it. Um, yeah, so that's my recommendation. Um, Joe, yourself? I have to say, in our house, we have two huge fans of the Sea Monsters book that you illustrated. And uh, we actually, I actually had to get uh, a Kraken print because that was so requested at our house. But... Um, Tonight, I'm also going to recommend a book which I just finished reading by Richard Ellis. It is called Sea Dragons, Predators of the Prehistoric Oceans. Yeah. And it's quite cool. Um, I thought, I, I, I'm from Kansas, so I love me a good Mosasaur. Um, it was really great. I felt it was easy to digest. So if you want to get into large, dangerous, scaly things of the Mesozoic era, and you're maybe not quite feeling dinosaurs or pterosaurs so much, that's a good book. But uh, yeah, that will just about wrap it up for this episode, right. folks. Bob, Great. thank you for joining us. Anytime. I enjoyed it very much. And everybody else listening, thank you very much. Keep it kaiju. Thank you. See ya.